Welcome to Bright Spots, highlights from the Western Regional Educator Network. I am Cameron Yee, Communications Coordinator for the REN. In our previous episode, Professional Development Coordinator Michelle Jelm and I talked about all things REN professional development. In this session, Michelle and I are here with Anil Uman, Associate Director of Clinical Practices and Continuing Education at Pacific University's College of Education. Anil is one of the founding members of the REN's coordinating body, as well as one of our PD contractors, making possible graduate-level courses like Ethnic Studies for Educators, Human Flourishing, and Storytelling for Classroom Teachers, just to name a few. Welcome back, Michelle, and thank you for joining us, Anil. Thank you. Nice to be here. So happy Diwali, Anil. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of circling back to our previous session where we were talking about Google calendars. I was looking at the Google calendar and um, looking at the different holidays that I enabled on there. So I saw Diwali was was yesterday, but I know it's a multi-day celebration. Um, so what's what's your favorite part of the Diwali celebration? Well, the lights. Uh, my favorite part is the lights. And when I was a elementary school teacher, I used to do this, um, uh, what we called the Festival of Lights banquet for my second graders. Um, well, first and second graders, but mostly in second grade. And um, it's it's so much of it is about you know, cutting through ignorance, good over evil, those kinds of things that resonate really well with young kids. and. Lots of stories that go around, go along with that too. So just the celebration of, of the lights is yeah. really important. That's beautiful. To clarify, it is the South Asian Festival of Lights, or is it specifically? Yeah, it specifically um, originates in the Hindu tradition, but it's definitely celebrated by everyone in India and um, and many people in South Asia. So there may be different terms that people use or even different spellings, you'll see a lot of, um, also because when you use the, um, the Latin-based language, there's going to be different variations mm-hmm. on the spelling that comes from South Asian languages. So. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I have a friend uh, who has invited us to a Diwali celebration in the past. We were fortunate to have her mom in town, so there was a lot of wonderful food and um, all the kids dressed up in bright colored clothing and sort of to represent the the lights and the the celebration of that brightness. Yeah, so I appreciate getting a little like, bit of exposure to it, but um, obviously there's a lot more to learn and experience. Yeah. yeah. And then um, tomorrow is also Ruby Bridges Walk to School Day, uh, which uh, I'll be participating in with my with my older daughter. Um, it's been a couple of years since we did that. The school she's at didn't really have it together the previous last year. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So we can jump into the getting to know Anil section. Yeah. So Anil, what is your background in education or teaching? I My background in um, education, I'll start with teaching. I started teaching in the Eugene Springfield area right around 2001. Well, it was 2001. As a second grade teacher at the Village School, which is a char- public charter school here in Eugene, and I taught for two years before in California in an arts integrated school. So it's kind of a running theme in my teaching career is working in, in spaces that where arts was integral um, to the teaching endeavor. But in 2001, a few weeks into my teaching, 9-11, took place. And I 
was biking to school and had some epithets thrown at me from someone. And, um, and I didn't know what happened um, until I got to school and one of my colleagues asked, did you hear what happened? And the whole thing unfolded. And so that was the beginning of my teaching, official licensed teaching career. Mm-hmm. And it impacted me a lot because I won't go into all of the details, but just kind of that idea of, should I shave my beard? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a terrorist, I'm a teacher, you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and also at trying to protect my students and my kids from from the impact of that or what what that you know how that was because I there's a lot that there's a lot more that could be said but it was um, um, that was the beginning of my education career so I taught second grade that first year and then first grade um, the following year and in that school setting we looped so one two loop so it was a really wonderful way to get to know um, the families and the students, and um, I always had a hard time letting go of them at the end of second grade because I was like, "We're not quite done yet." <laughs> you know? um, Come back and please. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was just a really wonderful place to teach, especially because of um, bringing the arts in. It was very labor-intensive in terms of bringing the arts in. Everything from I had to learn how to play the pentatonic flute, for example, and I never played flute mm-hmm. before, and um, but in just enough to be able to teach, get first graders started or second graders going. And then things like um, watercolor painting that takes a lot of setup and things like that. But it was very, very engaging and fun and have lots of good memories of that. I taught for two years in California before that in a private school, which was also arts integrated. Really learned a lot from, from that experience, quite different from the Waldorf-inspired village school setting, but similar in terms of bringing the arts in and engaging kids to do learning through the arts. And that's what really kind of catapulted me into, like, I really want to do this. But the interesting thing, too, for me is before that, my educational career, I was actually in seminary. And Mm. I knew that I wanted to work with kids, but not necessarily in a religious context. And then, working in the arts integrated settings really kind of helped me because I think of art as spiritual technology, Mm -hmm. um, which comes from my own roots as a South Asian, because in the South Asian or Indian context, art is spiritual technology. Mm -hmm. So that's another part of my educational journey. And then in 2013, I was asked to apply for a position at Pacific University after 12 years of teaching at the village school. And so I applied and got the job and um, was um, involved in teaching teachers and that became quite exciting and really invigorating to be able to pass on things that I've learned but also learn a lot from the students that were coming to me in in that setting and to us in that setting. And then in 2019, I was appointed as the director of the Eugene campus. And then of course COVID happened (laughs) and everything got a little topsy-turvy and um, we managed to make it through that. And and then um, now as the um, 
this is a long title, right? Associate, Dir <laughs> Associate Director of Clinical Practices and Continuing Education. What I do is I have a team of people who helps um, place teachers in school settings. So we're matching uh, student teachers with mentor teachers. Um, and what we're finding too, a lot of folks these days are also coming to us already with a teaching job as well. Um, and so... So they're already in service? Yeah, they're already in service, and so we're, we're helping them. They might be on, they're on a restricted license, um, and we're helping them navigate the teaching world, providing coaching, providing mentors and supervisors to kind of help move them along into getting their license. So the landscape has changed a lot um, since I first got into teaching teachers and also when I did my own student teaching. So I was a graduate of the MAT program at Pacific as well. That's awesome. Well, you answered my other question, which was tell us about your current role. It sounds awesome and super challenging. Was there anything else you wanted to add about just like what it is your most current role is like? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting role because the placement part was already there. Mm -hmm. um, the continuing ed part was kind of bubbling up with the partnership with the REN, we were already doing PD and we were offering some other kinds of PD as well for, for teachers in other ways. So there's the clinical practices, which is really placing teachers in their student teaching settings. There's the continuing education and then there's the um, partnership. So mm -hmm. a lot of that intersects as well. Um, but we're also developing partnerships with school districts and with other entities to diversify the teaching workforce through scholarships and things like that. So in the Office of Clinical Practices and Continuing Education, those three buckets are kind of the main areas that we're focusing on. That's really cool. I had no idea about those three different buckets. That, that makes a lot of sense, though. Um, how did you get involved with REN's coordinating body? That happened way before my time. I'm just curious, like, how did, you, how did we find you? <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, um, Tracy Conahan used to work at Pacific as our admissions counselor. I don't remember the exact title, but she was our admissions person. She was amazing, and um, she is amazing. And and she had told me about this about the Ren and and what's happening here. Uh, they were looking for a university representative, and so I said, I'm definitely interested and came on board that way, so, and then been been on board since, so it's good, it's good work. And for those of you who don't know, Conigan now Rear. We have Tracy Rear here. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, past topics that we've partnered on, the Renan Pacific University, and also um, your findings on how educators have found those classes? Yeah, I, I always like to, talk to the educators to see, you know, how it's going. And we have people that, you know, folks who have, I've never met before that are taking the courses to folks who were in the um, MAT program at Pacific and, and are, are taking it. And I've heard lots of really good things. And one of the things that I've heard from teachers is just the way it's structured and framed. Um, oftentimes I hear them say, thank you for treating us like professionals. <laughs> So that's really nice to hear. Um, but in terms of some of the courses, like storytelling for teachers is one that's coming to mind right now, storytelling for classroom teachers. It was online mostly, and then there was one 
in-person session that happened at Pacific over at Lane. Um, we're at Lane now. We moved <laughs> over the COVID time. And it was just really nice to see everyone together in that space and how much they really were engaging in the practice of storytelling in a way that could be culturally responsive, right? And so they're coming in and practicing. So I got to peek in and watch some of them and see some of my former students from Pacific <laughs> engaging in storytelling in such amazing animated ways and 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 also talking about how their students were responding too. So hearing hearing how their K through twelve students were responding to um, the storytelling. That's one. And another one that that one was developed by um, Kelly Terwilliger, who's a local storyteller and a friend. It was beautiful to see how she brought it forward into this context. And then there are some other courses that we've done too. And I think sometimes the REN has come up with an idea like the Ethnic Studies for Educators, um, I think came through the Lane ESD folks and um, Leah Dunbar. And she's worked with Kate on the Ethnic Studies for Educators multiple times and then before that she did an uh, implicit bias course so those are courses that I think came through Ren folks and then there were some courses that I've I've just been generating ideas and working with some folks like um, reaching and teaching students in poverty is a course idea that I that I got from um, a book that's the same title from by Paul Gorski and I reached out to a colleague at LCC, uh, Dr. Lawrence um, Rashid, and he was really excited about it and really we worked together on it initially and then he just took it and ran with it and um, it's been a well-loved course. There were lots of people that signed up for it, <laughs> huge waiting list and mm -hmm. it's like how do we how do we deal with the waiting list? Cause, <laughs> That's I mean, my job, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that's been a really a good I think a meaningful course, and I would like to know more in terms of um, how teachers are finding implementing some of the ideas from there, because it's a very much steeped in equity, and that's the idea behind the courses, is that it's really centered on equity. And part of that, too, is creating these courses that, to think of, it's not my terminology, but I love it. How do we create and cultivate identity-safe classrooms? Mm. And what does that look like? And so. I think all of these courses from the implicit bias course, the ethnic studies for educators, the um, reaching and teaching students in poverty, the um, forgot to mention the human flourishing, mm -hmm. storytelling, all of those courses, I think at the core in my mind has that, that sense of like, how are we creating identity safe classrooms? And what does that look like for the teachers? But more importantly, even or as important for the students that are coming through those classes. Sure, is that the lens you tend to use when you're coming up with new ideas that, that we talk about for future offerings? The lens I use, if I'm gonna cr help create the course, I really want it to be focused on identity-safe classrooms. Because mm. I feel like that's a really nice broad umbrella that can really open us up to really thinking about any marginalized student in the classroom. So it can't just be serving the dominant. I mean, obviously we, ha we need to serve all of our kids and that's really, really important, but we don't want to forget anyone. <laughs> so, sure. So that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. 
early on, was there a notion of like a equity literacy certificate? I saw that term kind of floating around when I first started. So um, yes, there there was, and there still is. Um, the equity literacy certificate is kind of the idea is is how do we take these courses? And, and in order to take a certificate, there's some nuances, right? Of like you need 12 credits for it to be a certificate, right? And and these courses are one credit each. So how do we do this? <laughs> so it's like that's a long time for a for a teacher to take courses to finally get a certificate. So we're still kind of figuring out how to do that. And in the meantime, maybe providing some steps along the way that help recognize, yes, you are you've done something towards that. So we're still exploring what it might mean to like have an equity literacy badge, for example. So that might be four credits because that's do that's a little more doable, right? Than than the twelve credits one one at a time. So so we're still we're still exploring that, and I would really um, it, there's a lot of interest in that, and so I think I think it'll it'll happen, but it's not happening as quickly as I would like it to. So sure, yeah. Yeah, coming from the IT world where like badges are a thing, you know, like I don't know if it's in other industries really. Like you you go through like certifications for different like networking and uh, network administration and then you get a, you earn a little badge as, as a credential basically. And I think that they like outside of IT, they've tried to make it badging become a thing, but I don't know if it's really taken off. I think it's a cool concept and not not purely for the sake of collecting <laughs> badges, you know, but it's a little bit like gamifying. Like the know. Boy Scout badges yeah, or, yes. or Girl so, Scout badges or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But I think like the idea of an equity literacy certificate would be, you know, kind of an, an initial, you know, foundation of, of understanding, which I think is usually sort of the challenge like of um, implementing equity training. Like where is everybody at? Like how do we know where they're at? And at least if there's like some foundational understanding, then we can know how to move forward together. Yeah. Yeah. And that equity literacy concept also comes from what I consider the core course of this is that reaching and teaching students in poverty. And so um, Paul Gorski's work is all around equity literacy. And so that's where I I actually had a conversation with him. I called him and he called Mm -hmm. me back and had a conversation about this. And he thought, yeah, go for it, you know. And um, so like that equity literacy piece. I, I've had some pushback from different people about it and not using that term literacy for it, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's really important because it is a type of literacy. It's really kind of understanding what's what's the terminology we're using and what does it mean and, and what does this look like in real time? Like how do you actually, what does this look like in terms of the kids that you're working with? <laughs> and what does it look like for them to be in a space where they feel like they belong and their identity is is um, intact and they don't have to hide some part of who they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the courses we collaborate on, I'm just curious, how do those courses fit into Pacific University's uh, teacher prep program or, or do they? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. When I first started at Pacific, um, I came to the university world um, as an elementary school teacher and a comprehensive sex ed trainer and facilitator. So one of the courses that we created um, when I first started here 
my mentor helped me get it get it going to kind of help me understand wh what does it take to create courses, right? So, um, and sort of the things that you have to go through. Um, but it's a course called uh, Sexuality and Identity in the Classroom. Mm -hmm. And that has also been a part of, of the PD options. It's actually an official course in the, um, the array of courses that students, MAT or uh, bachelor students can take. And any one of these courses could be, I mean, there's a lot of interest in these courses, but it's also we've kind of kept it because we have a special structure for this, we've kind of kept it within within this Lane County region. But as you know, Pacific is also in Forest Grove, and my colleagues there are like, well, when can the rest of us <laughs> have access to these? So, so there's definitely interest in the courses. Yeah. yeah, eventually it'll it'll become open, but right now it's special for the yeah. Lane region. Or, <laughs> Lane, Lynn, Lane, Benton, Lane, and Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Lincoln. Yes. Okay. Cool. Before we had been doing, I remember we've been doing kind of the three, three Ren uplifts, and then it becomes kind of a Pacific University lift. Is that yeah. still kind of the case? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of in in our technical world in the university, you know, after a course has been offered three times, then it gets an official number and. You've been teaching it three times. It's time to make it official. So, yeah. We test it out for you, and then you take it and run. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, it's like field testing. <laughs> <laughs> what other offerings do you see as potential for the future? Yeah, um, I mentioned to you before that I was a that I went to seminary. But even before I went to seminary, I was a religious studies major. Going back to Diwali again. Mm -hmm. My first experience of Diwali was in India at a big event there where, well, that's a whole other story, but <laughs> I'll leave that there. But um, so I was a religious studies major, and I really think um, in this day and time, it's really important. I, I had a course that I wanted to bring forward. It was a, a course on religious literacy for mm. post 9-11. And, there's a lot of really good information out there. Uh, Drexel University has an incredible PD around religious literacy for, for educators. And so I think that's really important because I think a lot, of, a lot of our teachers, educators, a lot of our population is pretty illiterate when it comes to religion. Mm. And, and I don't mean that in a way of like, you're like trying to promote a particular religion, right? But to really understand religion and the the kids that might be in your class that are of different religions or of no religion, right? So, so I think that's really important course that I'd like to see eventually because, I mean, think about what's going on in the world right now. Um, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of um, just um, ignorance and. So that's another piece of PD or any kind of educational course is how do we help cut through the ignorance, right? How do we um, bring the light <laughs> forward? That'd be really cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you for sure. Yeah. Any other courses you had in mind? Yeah, I have another course that I'm exploring and it was inspired by uh, Dr. Lawrence brought a, uh, Dr. Lawrence Rashid brought a, um, a speaker from Harvard University to speak, and it was a, a course on fugitive pedagogy, and it's about black teaching. Mm -hmm. And then there's another book that I've been reading on black leadership, and 
I want to have something around leadership that is both for administrators and for teachers and that really looks again centering equity and sense of belonging and identity safe identity safety in the classroom but yeah so leadership um, mm -hmm. but looking at leadership from a different lens than what we might see as the dominant lens right now mm -hmm. yeah that's another great conversation i'm looking forward to having with you maybe after this baby comes <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great i welcome it yeah. i love talking about this oh good 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 yeah and just for clarification when you talk about conversation between the two of you that's like the whole planning process that you went into detail yes yeah the whole planning process which starts at anil having a great idea and then me figuring out how we can make that work <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm thrilled I, the new ideas are great um I mean, the current ideas are great too, but I'm always, yeah. I'm always excited for the new ones because, you know, something new. <laughs> Do you think if you, I guess I'm trying to sort of put together like you're joining the coordinating body and then becoming a partner with the REN, not that one was necessary for the other, but I'm wondering if you didn't join the coordinating body, like what, do you think the REN partnership would have happened or how, how do you think that would have played out? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it would have, but I think being a part of the coordinating body kind of helped make those connections, right? And um, and of course, I'm always, I'm a little, like, I don't want to do anything that would be, what's the word, conflict of interest, right? Like, I, I, di I didn't want, like, I, I'm always very cautious about that, and I don't want to, I don't want anybody to play favorites or anything like that, but I... But at the same time, like I want to be able to bring forward ideas that could potentially be of use for our, you know, our community and our our teachers and um, and our students. So I don't want to shy away from doing that. But at the same time, I'm also, you know, I want to be clear. Like this is if there's a conflict of interest for me, I'll step away and let someone else <laughs> step sure. in. So. Sure. Well, you've seen the response in terms of sign up to every one of those specific yes. courses. And the titles themselves are just super intriguing. And I hear about it after the fact, like how how popular and well received they are. So it's a it's a beautiful partnership and I do hope it continues. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so too. It's been really fun. It's it's one of the highlights of my my time at Pacific and the Ren. So good uh the other thought i had around partnerships because you brought up dr rashid a couple times do you think anything would be different if you weren't located at the lcc campus like were you were you making those connections beforehand when you were at a different location well the connection with dr rashid and and um i don't think that would have happened as easily maybe it would have eventually yeah. mm -hmm. but we're just down the hall from yeah. each other yeah. <laughs> so like, we just see each other and mm -hmm. um and so and others that are there too. Um, Jim, who is um, uh, teaches ethnic studies at LCC as well. It's been really nice to be on on location. We're all going through our COVID, reemerging from COVID, and whatever that looks like. But at least we see each other in the hallway, and we can you know say hello and remind each other of things that are happening. So. Yeah. I just remember the. I think the last time I was at LCC, I was with Tracy and said, oh, we should go see Anil upstairs. I didn't even know you were upstairs. And but Dr. Rashid was downstairs with another activity. And it's like, there's all these people here that know each other. It's like, it seems like a great like collaboration opportunity. So. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else you want to talk about or bring up today? 
No, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk more about it. I, I love talking about this because I like generating new ideas and mm -hmm. I like working with people who want to explore new things and <laughs> new ways of, of trying to um, really to help our kids mm -hmm. to feel anchored and connected in who they are and, and our teachers to feel solid in, in the work they're doing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, taking the time. I know I'm going to see you later because there's a task force meeting tonight, but that will be online. But I appreciate all the time that you're spending with the Wren today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, or follow us on whatever podcast platform you're hearing this on. For more information about our equity-based professional learning, follow the links in the episode description, which go to our website at westernren.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can join us for the next episode of the Bright Spots podcast, highlights from the Western Regional Educator Network.